Hey guys, welcome to Unpacking Design. I'm Mike Lavalley. And Tim Ung, and this is a show where we tell you about products and ideas that relate to designers all over the world. Hey guys, welcome back to Unpacking Design. Today, Mike, I want to talk about a topic that I think will be very timely for when this podcast episode goes out. And it's one that I wish was out when I was, when, back when I was in school. There probably were similar ones, but just not related to the design profession. Uh-huh. So today, I want to unpack advice for design students. So for students who are now entering college, this should be going out in September 2019-ish, around that time period. Fall, yeah. Yeah, in the fall. So if, if you think back to your time going into architecture school and just like some of the things that you wish you would have known from a generic perspective, just so that it relates to all of the different professions out there, what are some of the things that you would recommend for new students to either do or just general advice, something that you, you know, in retrospect, you'd say, you know what, I would have done that way differently. I wouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. So we're keeping this to incoming students or students just in general, like university level students, right? Yeah, and going into any kind of design profession. Um, There's one thing that that does sort of stand out, um, and then there's another one that I want to follow up on. But the first one is, I would, I wish that I had kind of. I've always been a very driven person. We've talked about this a couple times on the mm-hmm. podcast, but we've also talked about burnout, which I feel like I can go back in my head and very clearly map out the pattern that ultimately led to my burnout a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And I would say that the first and probably the f- primary advice I would give anybody going into a design field or creative field is to pace yourself. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the more that I learn about the field, while it, it's going to be hard to take this advice because I feel like when you're especially leaving high school or that level of um, school to go to college, you are really young you have like a lot of energy and a lot of like drive to make your like mark in the world Mm -hmm. and you're probably very aggressive about it if you have Mm -hmm. a similar kind of uh, mentality that i did when i was that age and it's difficult to take this advice because of that and you you probably will rebel against me even mm-hmm. saying this advice because oh Mike you just you, you don't you just don't get it anymore like mm-hmm. this is what we got to do and I can like hear the person on the other end say that to a degree uh, because it's probably what I would have responded to when I was mm-hmm. that young but I think the reality is is that there's a I remember a high school teacher of mine who was also my soccer coach say you gotta do everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. And I know he's taking that kind of mentality and quote from somebody else, but it really is true. Like the more that you can moderate and take, you know, like if you eat too much, you gain weight. If you get too much sleep, you're gonna be tired, or mm-hmm. too little sleep, you're gonna be tired. And that over a long time turns into a habit or something that is potentially destructive or potentially positive, depending on what the habit is. But I think this is a time where you're figuring out a lot of the um, fundamental things about your life that will inform later years in your life. Mm-hmm. You're, you're establishing who you are and their personality and 
what kinds of things you're interested in now. And while I think that it's something that you should do to taste everything and be doing a lot of different things right at that point, you have to be careful not to dive too quickly into one or two things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for me, as an example, me diving completely into studio work, studio life, and just working all the time, um, not doing as many sort of fun activities as I could have during college, Mm -hmm. um, is a mild regret of mine. And it's something that if I could go back and do it again, I probably would have not just partied all the time, but I probably would have done more mm-hmm. social things um, outside of my you know studio time. And then, you know, I don't know if you have follow-up to that, but I have another thing too. No, I, I like that idea about pacing yourself. I think for me, when I was in school, I didn't know what it meant to pace myself, you know, like, you don't you don't really understand what's about to come at you. Right. You don't know what the coursework is going to be like. You don't know what your design studio is going to be like. You don't know how in depth you're going to have to get. Yeah. And everything is really up to you as a person. You know, right. like when you're a student and you're given a design brief and you're told to design something, there's no hours associated with that. Sure. You kind of create it on your own. And when I look back on it, I would have approached every project from a totally different perspective. I wouldn't have just dove in and tried to design something line by line based on the brief that was given. I would read the brief now, you know, being who I am, and develop my own take on that first. So taking right. the, the, the design brief, reinterpret it, turn it into something that I strongly believe in so that I have a personal attachment to it and something that I can speculate on, right. and then develop a story behind it and design around it. And from that, you can then start to understand how much time you as a person will need to make that happen. And when you have that, now you can start to pace yourself, right? And you can start actually attending all your other classes. Because I think it's it's a very strong advice for new students because pacing yourself with the design studio you're going to have, as well as all the other classes you're going to have to take at the same time, is very hard. Like, there are so many students that I went to school with who gave up every other class and did the bare minimum and everything else just to do well in their design studio. So they lost the fundamental side of everything else. So I think it's a strong point and it'll take time to get there, but just slowly develop your way of designing your own interpretation on things and then get to a point where you can start to associate time with the task. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good, um, that's a good point. And the, thing that I thought about as you were talking was just that it's very difficult from a new person's perspective to even, like you said, pace themselves at all because they have no context of what pacing themselves means for a studio life. So I think the one thing that might be a follow-up to pace yourself is because you have no context or no data or no information on like how you feel after you work a certain amount of time or you do a certain amount of design tasks or you go through a studio life or studio kind of environment, take a look at what your first semester is like. Like do your first semester the way that you, however you feel like you should. Um, Whatever that means for you, whether Mm -hmm. it's full on in and you're gonna just do design stuff as much as you can or maybe you're gonna be more relaxed about it. Um, but take a moment at the very end of that first semester or the first year and say, uh, do an evaluation of yourself and say, 
you know, that's, I think that's the first step in pacing yourself is understanding how do you feel? How do you feel about how the semesters went? How do you mm -hmm. feel about how you are physically? How do you feel mentally? Mm -hmm. Check in with yourself because I think I, I probably could have done better looking back to do that every so often with myself mm -hmm. and really think about like how much progress I had made creatively in terms of my skill set, but also how much progress or um, pushback I had gotten over time mm -hmm. um, in other areas of my life, whether that's with um, health, friendships, relationships, uh, any of the other kind of buckets in your life. Mm -hmm. And I think as long as you are at least checking in with yourself every now and then, and then making adjustments, you know, I think you're going to end up being happier in the long mm -hmm. run. Um, the other thing that I was going to say that I always remember this one professor telling me is, um, you know, and it wasn't directed to me, it was just a general comment and a studio critique, but he said, you can't, you're here for a limited period of time in, in college, right? You're, it's a moment in your life where you'll look back and you're gonna wanna get the most out of it. Mm -hmm. And you can't always, this is gonna sound so rebellious, but you can't listen to just the, um, the instruction, sort of like what you were alluding to of verbatim what is being asked of you. If mm -hmm. you're interested in a very specific thing, follow that in the semester's project mm -hmm. and make sure that you're learning whatever it is that you need to get out of it. I mean, you're paying, whether you're getting scholarships or not, someone is paying thousands of dollars, mm -hmm. maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time you leave to be there for a moment in your life to go to college to, or to get training or to whatever. Mm -hmm. Make the most of what you want out of it. And if you're interested in something specific that you find in a completely different class or in a seminar or something mm -hmm. else, take that as a, a benchmark or a, a, a jumping off point for you to almost, like you would in like a graduate or doctorate studies, take that and run with it mm -hmm. and become more of a curious designer than just somebody who is following all the rules. Even though there are gonna be parameters later after you get out of school, there's always gonna be that need for you to push boundaries and for you to push yourself in the way that you wanna design. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the next important thing yeah. I was gonna say. I agree, and then one of the points that I wrote down was, uh, this one's a pretty, a pretty broad one, so I'm gonna hone in on it, but don't be afraid to ask, right? Yeah. And the, the reason why it's a, a broad one is because a lot of people will think that all I'm referring to is don't be afraid to ask a question, you know, and that that is a, a big part of it, you know, to ask your professors questions, to raise your hand in class and to take part in what you're learning and, you know, be a part of that community. But in reality, what, what I really mean by this is don't be afraid to ask for opportunities. There are opportunities everywhere around you, like your professors are a really good one. If you're at a research-based university, after your, your first semester in the fall and the spring, you can see what professor you might have found an attachment to or whose work you really admire. And you have the ability to send them an email with your academic you know, email address and they'll typically respond. And you can ask for opportunities to help with their research, to be a part of their lab, to be a part of their studio. To, you, know, you can ask them for advice and eventually you can ask professors to be a mentor. And finding the mentor is probably the best thing you could ever do. 
Because when you have a mentor in, at the university, they kind of guide you through every step of the way. Like right. if you ever get stuck and you have a mentor that you can ask a question with, they have been through your shoes before. So they can a and not only answer your question, but guide you and step in where they need to, yeah. to try and get you where you need to go. Yeah, I found that creating dynamic relationships with um, faculty over time also will open opportunities to either their design research or assisting with them on something that they're interested in. Yeah. It might not even be the thing that you're directly interested in, but it's giving you more experience that I think a lot of people, when they leave school, they're looking for their first job or they're looking for their first thing to do. And having context for how somebody else is already doing their own research also helps. And yeah. you're, not, you're not even going to know what that experience is like unless you kind of reach out to people and try to find those connections and, and like find those mentor um, people who can fill that mentor role for you. Yeah. Um, what do you think about sort of, like I noticed in, in my sort of college year specifically that people tend to start to like become not in the same way as high school, but like in a similar way, create their own little cliques or their own little um, uh, groups of friends, mm -hmm. right? How important do you feel like it is to, since we're talking about making connections to um, either find that group that you belong in or um, focus more on, I guess what I'm getting at is there's so much emphasis when you get out of school on collaboration and how to work well with people is, mm -hmm. is it advisable in your mind to either stick with that one group for the most of your time in school? Cause you'll probably gravitate towards certain people mm -hmm. or what I found is, you know, at least having conversations with everybody who's yeah. in your class. Usually they're like my architecture class started at like 120 people and I think it ended up at 80. Mm -hmm. And over time, you connect really strongly with certain people. But if I didn't have conversations, even just in general, to find out what other people were working on, um, I wouldn't have um, met as many people, understood as many people. And honestly, I felt like my college experience was much more of a melting pot for me of mm -hmm. cultures and people and ideas than my high school ever was. I mean, mm -hmm. nothing wrong with my high school, but I was in a very... Um, uh, specific sort of like I feel like a very templated suburban mm -hmm. high school experience you know I didn't have um, a lot of I wasn't in the middle of a city it wasn't you know, it was very um, kind of mom and pop type mm -hmm. high school experience and then I came to college and I was introduced to a whole bunch of different types of people mm -hmm. um, I just Want to get your take on like what what your experience was like for that portion of it, and how much you felt like that had developed, you know, your yeah. your take on. It. I, it's good that you brought that point up actually, because when I was in school, I I'm, I was very very introverted, like to the point where I didn't talk much to anyone around me. Yeah. So for my freshman and sophomore years, I actually was not associated with any cliques. I didn't talk to the people around me. 
And in a way, it was just all cutthroat. I was just, you know, everyone was kind of working against me is the way that I saw it. Like, you know, I had to get better grades or I had to do just as good as everyone else. Like, I always saw it as a competition because I didn't have a group of friends. And then at some point in my junior year, I started spending so much more time in the design studio, like physically, like being there and doing work there and starting to ask people about their projects and just about what they're working on and for advice and to teach me things. And once I got to that point, I started to learn from people who were in the years ahead of me, from the years um, after me, and from the people in my year. And just like you said, I, I didn't associate with one group in right. the very beginning. I like had a group of, of people in the computer lab that I would sit with, and they would show me how to do something if I needed it, and then I would show them how to do something. And eventually, this collaborative way of working really came about, where the the peers of mine became kind of like the professors as well, where we could bounce ideas off of each other, but we were always there together, you know? And that little bit of collaboration made it fun to be where I was. It made being in the design profession a lot more fun because when you're fresh in the school, you don't really know all the things that people are saying. You don't understand all the slang. You don't understand all the terminology. You don't have this view of the design world that is similar to someone else. The only way you start to get into that area where you feel more comfortable being a designer is by talking to other people around you and feeling like you're at least making some kind of progress. So I think it's very important to not just find a click, but to find people who you can approach and just have a conversation with about design and about the things that you're working on and then asking them for advice, especially in the years people in the years ahead of you. You'd be so surprised by how receptive the people in the years ahead of you are to actually sitting down with you and like answering your questions and and talking to you about it and trying to help you figure out the resolution to your design problems. Did you, um, so like, at least in where I went to school, we weren't allowed to just because of, it was like this, I don't know if it was really an unsaid rule, but it felt like, it must have been documented somewhere. Um, architecture school wasn't really allowed to do the Division One sports at the time. Oh. Um, like you just weren't allowed to be part of those teams just yeah. because it's there's this understanding that architecture students spend all their time in studio and they would mm-hmm. never be able to do sports, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not that's a real thing or just something that was more like a uh, urban legend kind mm-hmm. of like thing, it was kind of it was interesting. So I never did sports mm-hmm. really, um, at least not formal ones. Um, I also didn't really ever have, not that I didn't have interest, I just didn't realize that there were until after I left of joining like clubs mm-hmm. or joining, um, uh, I don't know, hobbies or activities that really probably would have been something that I would have been interested in. And I guess, did you uh, play any sports or um, join any clubs while you were in school? Uh, when I was in school in the beginning, uh, no, I didn't. I was very, I was very shy, so I didn't join anything, and I wasn't athletic, really. Like I didn't, not that I wasn't athletic. I didn't do any sports that were collegial. Right. And then, eventually, I, I really got into playing table tennis, and then I started playing in the community centers at around the university, and I started meeting a lot of people doing that. And it's it's good you asked the question because that actually leads to another point. But first. I, I knew people who were a part of sports, 
but it was so much work in the studio that they eventually either decided to stay in the design profession or they ended up leaving and pursuing their sport, right? It was always one or the other. I don't right. think uh, there are very few people who made it through the sports and the design field yep. and made it to the end. So it's, it's definitely hard, but it's not impossible. Sure. If you actually spend the time and you pace yourself like you recommended, you can do it. The people that have done it, they pace themselves very well. Yeah, it's like the same the same mentality has to be there if you do like dual major or you do yeah. like a minor or a couple minors and something. Yeah. It's important to remember too that you'll eventually have to sacrifice something. Right. Like if you're going to pursue all these things, you have to sacrifice, you know, if you wanted to party, maybe you can't party as much, you know. But it, it leads to a, another good point. I, I wrote it down. It was um, to have friends outside of your design profession. Right. Because one of the things you'll get trapped in is this world of design where everyone around you is a designer yeah. whether you're a graphic designer or you're an architect or an industrial designer you're going to be around people that do that all the time and all you're going to talk about is design right and at some point it'll become stale you'll be like oh i need i need something a little bit different so having friends outside of the design world is really beneficial because now you get to interact and just have fun with people outside of your studio and outside of like the the daily grind of what you're trying to do. Yeah, well, having the other perspective was very important too. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked. So maybe this relates a little bit to how I um, lived on campus. So I went to Syracuse. So I, I had to move on campus. I went to school there, and um, the first two years, you you're required to live on campus, mm -hmm. and then. Then it's, it become there's like a lottery system, and you get to pick which dorm you're in. And you know, as you mm -hmm. as you attain more um, time there and experience, they give you more and more options. So they mm -hmm. unfold the menu because the general population of freshmen is only allowed certain dorms and things like that. So the first dorm, um, I was just given, you know, here's here's your roommate. Mm -hmm. Here you go. You know, and it ended up being uh, a person who was in the architecture school, but then ended up going into religion later. It has oh, wow. like a completely different um, field. Yeah. Um, the nice thing that was about about that was that he lived in Syracuse. Mm -hmm. Like that was where he was from. So like he knew where to go and like how to get around and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then you you meet other people in that on that same level on the same floor. None of them are doing architecture. One was a psychology major. One mm -hmm. you know one is communications. Like they're all completely mm -hmm. different. That experience helped me find those friends at least mm -hmm. initially. I mean, ultimately, I think I or I I kind of wish I had kept more of my non-architecture friends mm -hmm. because I felt like over time I got into that situation where you were talking about where the conversations become more stale but you're spending so much time with these people mm -hmm. that like for example if you start having uh, like if your non-architecture friend wants to go out and do something well sorry I have this project or whatever mm -hmm. and it's not even being uh, over indulgent on studio stuff sometimes literally things are due and you have to mm -hmm. you know get your studio project done and it just has to happen that mm -hmm. way um, I felt like there was at least a balance initially 
to help me make the decision ultimately though one way or the other like to mm -hmm. either emphasize non-architecture friends over architecture friends or vice versa yeah in my experience i ended up choosing to kind of go more into having better connections with architects mm -hmm. than i did with non-architects just because i just noticed the pattern i was spending more time with them i was in studio more mm -hmm. and i think the the lesson there though is that not all studio or creative experiences are the same so like if i was going into a different kind of design mm -hmm. background i might have done it a little bit differently and tried to get more of a broad mm -hmm. brush sort of variety almost like a rainbow of different personalities and cultures yeah. um, than what i ended up with yeah because i think that's a really good piece of advice i mean if i could have done that i probably would have yeah uh, moving on to another one that I wrote down, it's to use your knowledge of technology to your advantage. And I think this one is a big one for a lot of the younger people getting into college now. And when I say younger, I'm only saying that because now I'm getting old, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so it, when you look at technology and how the younger people are using it today, younger meaning the people currently in college, the, the way that it's being used is so different than when we were in college. Like, we're on a totally different playing field now where... Right. The people who are currently in college, like there, there are apps out there for you to find scholarships that apply directly to you. And by filling out forms once, you can apply to all of them. And the reason why that's important is if you use your knowledge of technology and you find these kinds of apps and you find these resources, you can potentially not only make your college experience free, you can also have your college pay for you. Uh -huh. So it's really big now because you don't want to graduate and be in the same boat as the millennial generation, which you and I both fall under, Mike, where the majority of us are in debt, debt that's big enough with student loans to buy a house where we currently work in Buffalo, right? It's like, how do you graduate with as much debt as owning a new house when you are done with college? It's like, it's hard to, yeah. to get beyond that and it's only getting worse with time. So in order to avoid that, you need to watch your finances. So these two go hand in hand. You need to know how to use technology to your advantage, but you need to also watch how you're spending your money. So using technology to find scholarships, to find opportunities, to find ways of, of having your college be paid for and also to pay you to go is a really big one. There are scholarships out there that people don't even know about and they go unapplied for to the point where those not-for-profits actually don't give it away because no one applied. So if you applied, you'd be one of 10, right? right? And there are apps now that actually catalog all the scholarships out there. I don't know one in particular, but I remember watching a documentary about it. So it, it's, really, it's really, really important to take the time to research these kinds of apps and softwares and really get involved and find those things every year. Yeah, and with, um, you know, it's interesting because... Uh like I, I remember uh, when I was looking into scholarships for myself, I qualified for some really random ones that I had never expected to ever be um, like in my life. So like the, um, uh, my grandfather was a Mason. And when I say Mason, I don't mean like, um, uh, like a, somebody who lays bricks. I mean like a, um, for like a Masonic temple where the you know it ended up being a uh, a group for uh, guys mostly that um, you know they meet they 
might be spiritual or not, depending on which group you're doing or which uh, kind of chapter you're in or whatever. But they, they do a lot of charitable work. They gather money for, um, you know, kids and things mm-hmm. like that. And they, it's, a, it's a, like a brotherhood kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I ended up qualifying for something because my grandfather was a Mason at some mm-hmm. point. My dad wasn't. I, I'm not and wasn't. But it, because someone in my family was tied to me mm-hmm. and did something, mm-hmm. I at least was... Um, able to apply for it Mm -hmm. and i feel like there's things like that that you need to like a piece of advice might be even if you're not doing it this year or this semester is to some of these scholarships only work at certain times Mm -hmm. and they only work um you know or they work all the time and you could keep applying for them Mm -hmm. so just because you applied for one thing once doesn't mean that you can't kick in a different level like if you do the research, there's so much money out there. I liked your point about that a lot because there's so much money out there that is available, you know, mm-hmm. to a lot of different people. And if you find those really random ones, you know, whether it's through an app or what, just Google searching something, yeah, you're gonna find a lot of opportunity there to at least help cut back the sort of um, just the, um, crushing debt. Yeah, so the, the, the app that I was talking about, it's called Scully. It's yeah. S-C-H-O-L-L-Y. And it was actually a person who developed the app while he was in college because he was looking for college scholarships and he wanted to figure out a way of applying to all of them. Yeah. So he created this app to apply for him. Then he thought it was a great idea, so he shared it with the rest of the world for free. So that's the app you can use. Uh, it's probably going to change over time. So if you're listening to this at a later date, there's probably a lot more like it out there. Uh, but... Just finding those scholarships and opportunities is the first step. And then applying to all of them. Like, if there's a way of applying to all of them with one click of a button, why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, and I I think another way to look at it, too, is to figure out what works for you on a day-to-day basis as you're going through school. So it's not just about paying for tuition and room and board, but it's like, what do you really need to spend, you know, on a day-to-day like make sure that you're tracking your finances that way too because it's a good it's most likely the first time that you've been out on your own mm-hmm. in your life it's most likely for a long period of time at least it's most likely the first time that you are having to uh, maybe you have to do a part-time job or you have to you know in my case I had to do a um, part-time job as a requirement of one of my scholarships mm-hmm. you know at the school and I I felt like it was a great opportunity to get some experience in something um, where I used the things that I knew I had to do. Like I ended up being a um, plot monitor in mm-hmm. a computer lab. So I learned more about the software. I learned more about how the plotters mm-hmm. worked. So that whenever I had to actually use it myself, I could go there and use those skills to do said thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't have the opportunity to do that, but if you can work in like a lab or like a thing that's related to what you're um, working on or even something off campus, um, I'd highly recommend that as a way to not only supplement your money, but to build skills passively that you might need during school or after. Um, It's something that I, (laughs) funny enough, I, uh, the first place I worked at had a full plotter 
um, like a 42-inch wide plotter, mm -hmm. and I was the only one in the office for a while who actually knew how to unroll and like mm -hmm. do stuff. It's like stupid, simple stuff. Yeah. Um, looking back on it, but um, acquiring as many skills as you can while you're supporting yourself, I think, is also yeah. interesting. And then the the next point that I had that I, I think is a really important one that's tied to this whole technology one is don't just be a consumer, be a producer. Yeah. A lot of people nowadays like to open up Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, you name it. And once they open up that, that app, they just consume. They scroll through the infinite loop, you know, for an hour or two. Right. And at the end of it all, they feel like they gain some knowledge because they watched a video from Tasty about may, how to make the best steak, right? Like something like that. <laughs> Right. Or, you know, you watched a, a fight that happened, a brawl, or you watched a police video. Like, you know, there's all these things out there that people like to watch. And at some point, it, it takes over your life because you develop a bad habit of doing it. The only reason why I know that is because that's what I do. I just keep scrolling through and watching how to make food, right? And at some point, you should become a producer as well. Like, if you love the content that you're seeing all the time as a designer, then you should be able to then make something and share it too. If you see a new platform, like when I was in college, Instagram just came out. Had I saw it back then and I really wanted to pursue it, I could have been one of the first people using it and I could have started to like garner an audience and you know doing all of that. And today, maybe I would have been seen as an influencer depending on what I was sharing. If you find something that's interesting to you and you find that niche that you keep following, be a part of it, be a part of that community, share your own work, share your own designs, share right. your own ideas and put it out there into the world. I find that a lot of younger people today are very fast at wanting to share. A lot of people don't want to just be the person who is consuming all the time, but there's this fear and this anxiety of putting something out and having people hate it or putting something out and not getting enough likes. And that's not what it's about. Just put your work out there and see what comes. It takes time, it takes effort, and when you're in college, you have both. I mean, the reality, too, is like if you started a free blog, for example, and it was just a blog of sort of like what you have to yeah. a degree where you're sharing as you go your projects, right? Mm -hmm. um, having something like that is valuable for two really good reasons. One is you'll have it so that when you get out of college, you can document the entire time that you've been doing stuff and you can very quickly manage your way into your first job. And it's a it's a it's something that you can take with you that you say, look, employer, um, I did this and I, this is how I work and this is how I operate and this is how I've mm -hmm. evolved over time. And then the other th reason why it's important is because I know of a couple of startups and, and like things that have gotten off the ground because and even just the example that you had where somebody was making an app mm -hmm. during school to help other students while they're in mm -hmm. school or before they go into school, you might uncover these solutions to problems that you're having that are bigger than what you think they are now just by documenting your process. Right. And it's something I'd advise to anybody, but in particular in school, it, it, it's helpful because, you know, the reality is when you start a blog, nobody's watching anyway. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. Nobody is really looking at what you're doing anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's the perfect time to test everything out because your audience is probably just like your mom or like your friend. Mm -hmm. And over time, it becomes more than that, potentially, if you want to keep up with it that mm -hmm. way. But it becomes a, a very quick way to document it without having to think too much about like what each piece is. You can just you know, write an entry one day about what you're 
week was like and how much progress you made on a project or something mm -hmm. you found or whatever. Yeah. And that might actually be an easier way to do it than formally putting it on, I say formally, but I mean just like putting it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever mm -hmm. because your friends are there. And yeah. maybe you feel a little bit like you're putting too much of yourself out there for your friends to see, mm -hmm. which I get, I've been there, I've, I've been shy and sort of nervous to put myself out there. Mm -hmm. So if you put something on a journal or a blog that you can still keep as a record of it, but then mm -hmm. share it when you want to, that might be a way for a lot of people to just sort of kind of cut the difference. Yeah. And then the last one I have, I'm sure we could go on forever with like advice being as old as we are now. But in terms <laughs> Make of... Make it sound like we're like on death's door. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> I just like saying that because now I'm actually old enough to be able to kind of say it. But the last one I wrote down was volunteer and get an internship. Yep. And the reason for that is it'll help you apply some kind of reality to the education you're getting. A lot of times people are so surprised when they graduate and all they did was this crazy level conceptual design and then they end up working at like a small resourceful firm that only does, you know, small scale service based projects, you know, where everything's kind of just cut and dry. This is what we do. This is how we do it. Just get this done, yep. you know, and when you start applying that to your education, you start to understand what's really important and what's not. And you start to find the kind of firm that you will end up wanting to work at, whether it's a small boutique one, a mid a mid size one or a corporate size one where you know, you might fit into one of those. Some people that I know really love the boutique ones. Some people that I know really love the corporate ones because they love structure, you know, but yeah. people like the boutique ones because they don't like structure. They like being fluid. They like having to deal with things on the go, yeah. you know. Within a, a more corporate environment, you start to see that there's this whole standard operating procedure for everything. There's like, you know, this is how you do it. This is how we do it. This is how you learn. This is how we learn. This is... These are all the different ways that we get our projects and this is how we approach it. And that, that's way different than going to a place that's more organic and every project has its, its own unique set of things that they do for it. Yeah, so. I, I think that's a, honestly, that's a really good place to sort of end on maybe even because experimentation just seems like, a, or experimenting with things just seems like a very big theme of what you're supposed to be doing in college in the first place and, right. and testing those places that you could work at before you're even out of school and testing the projects that you're working on and, and trying to get a feel for, like we talked about it earlier in the podcast, like you don't know what you don't know yet. Yeah. So I think part of the college experience or the next level education is really trying to find out who you are through experimentation. Right. You can't know what your limits are without testing them and maybe you'll go past them a little bit and you have to kind of ramp it back or um, change directions here and there. You probably will. I mean, that you, even with the advice that we're giving you, even if you took it down to the letter, you know, you're still going to have things that are roadblocks for mm -hmm. you or you're still going to have things that are like... Um, you, you might find that you're either more of this kind of designer or not this kind of designer, or mm -hmm. I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you're some kind of creative designer person who is interested in design mm -hmm. and wants to um, grow as a designer or a mm -hmm. creative person. Yeah. So figure out what those things are that excite you and, and just, I would say, go all in and just keep measuring how you're doing. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good 
note to end this episode on. So thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Unpacking Design. And you can uh, check us out anytime at the unpackingdesign.com website. And you can also find us on iTunes and anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Please remember to leave a review and share this podcast with someone you know.